Yo, yo, once again, it's your boy, Sean Boyles. It's the Sean Boyles Podcast. How are you? What's going on? How are things? How is your world? How's it going? Uh, episode three. We're, uh, we're in it. We're up in it. We're doing a thing. We're doing a, we're doing a multi-series, uh, halfway legitimate podcast. I only say halfway legitimate because honestly, I am just kind of talking into my phone. Um, I'm using the Anchor podcasting app. Uh, Anchor FM is where you might be listening to this podcast as we speak. And uh, it makes it pretty easy just to uh, download an app, talk into your phone, hit a little record button, talk into your phone, and uh, and make a, make a podcast. So uh, that's what we're doing. This is uh this is what we're doing. Uh how's your how how how's your life? How's things going? It is uh it is Sunday. What is it? September 1st. Oh, uh, it is uh this will be released Monday morning, but I'm recording this on Sunday. It's been a pretty chill day. I got up, took the wife to work and uh helped out a friend at his house with some uh some sheetrocking of a wall, and now uh, I am home, relaxing, and I thought, hey, let's get another episode knocked out of the podcast. So, uh, as you have heard in the past, uh, if if you've been listening, uh, I am sort of reflecting and uh, given, given these first few episodes to give a little personal history of my uh my music career I guess you can say if you can call it a career I mean it's kind of it's loose it's a loose term really uh to say career uh sort of entails that I might have made some money that didn't happen ever um not that it's too late but I am 45 years old I think that ship has sailed uh in fact uh what we're going to get into today sort of uh Maybe the catalyst of getting over the hump of uh, of uh, trying to make things happen. Once, uh, uh, so anyway, like I said, um, let's. I don't know. Let's start at the beginning. So, uh, uh, where we left off last episode, I had uh, I had quit a local band here in in the East Bay of California called Chaos. I had uh, I had walked away. Uh, due to what I felt was a lack of enthusiasm by the rest of the band. <laughs> here here I join a band that had been going for a very long time, and now I'm quitting because I don't feel that they're into it enough. <laughs> it was their band, and I'm walking away. Um, during that time, um, I had become friends with a, a fella named Brian, and uh, Brian was a couple years younger than me, and then me being a... Uh, Oh, four to five years younger than the rest of the guys in that band, which, you know, 19, 20, 21 versus 27, 28, you know, 26, 27, 28, you know, guys that are just creeping up on 30 versus me just barely getting into my 20s, you know, pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, age difference as far as what you're into and what you're trying to do in your life or whatever. So, uh, I met this guy Brian. He was a um, 
a uh, younger brother of a friend of mine that I had went to school with that I was friends with in high school. And uh, we were hanging out a lot, and he would help me roadie uh, when Chaos would play. He would, uh, it's a pretty, pretty big dude, young and spry, but uh, he could wrap up all my cymbal stands and all the stands for my drum kit and pretty much carry it all in one shot. So he was a good uh, moose of a man to bring along when you needed to move your band gear around. Um, but I became good friends with the guy, and I'm still good friends with him today. Um, but at that time, especially when I was thinking about walking away from that band, uh, I got to f- I found out that he uh, he had a little uh, little book of poetry. He had a little book that he was writing uh, writing little poems in and things. And I had read him one day, and I th- asked him if he ever thought of putting uh, putting it to music. You know, because they were poems, they were rhyming. You know, one could think maybe these could be uh, lyrics for songs or uh, or put to beats. Maybe they could be rapped. I don't know. Um, but I asked about that, and he was, you know, no way interested in anything like that. So I let it be. Uh, so this is I Quit Chaos in, I want to say, maybe late summer of 1995, I believe. Um so uh in the bay area at that time we had a thing called uh, bam magazine it was bay area music magazine it was a free magazine you could pick up at a newsstand or pick up at the music store pick up at a record store and um you could you know had all the listings of shows interviews with local and national artists it was a really cool little uh little magazine uh they had one ads in the back of that magazine and and the one ads would be, you know, looking for band members or looking for rehearsal space, looking for recording opportunities or engineers offering their services, recording studios offering theirs. It was a cool little uh, one ad section in the back of Band Magazine. I decided to run an ad to find band members to start a new band. I uh, wanted to combine, um, I was really into, at the time, I was into Deftones, into Corn. This is, like I said, early, uh, mid-90s, and um, I was really digging the idea of fusing um, more hip-hop kind of stuff with heavier music, and uh, I know that's uh, something that makes people cringe these days, Um, but in my mind, I kind of thought that if you're going to do it, you got to really do the rap part right. You got to really... really lend a strong hand and lean really heavy towards the hip hop side of that music and let, you know, really try to do that uh, genre justice in your music and in your approach. Heavy stuff is easy, more or less, if you if you know how to do it. Um, so that can get peppered in. We wanted to, I, my idea was to just pretty much have a a, hip, a live hip hop group that sort of, got heavy once in a while. That was that was my initial thought. And um, so I put an ad out and said I was looking for members, you know, some guitar player, bass player, and uh, uh, an MC or a singer to try to pull this kind of thing off. Uh, I got some responses. Funny thing when you put an ad in a, in a magazine as a drummer uh, looking for band members, even if you are very specific on 
what you want to play, you're still going to get calls from people asking you to do something either slightly different or completely different than what you were initially asking for. I remember getting calls to uh, join a Christian rock band. I got calls to play drums for uh, just all kinds of different things, a ska band. Uh, one guy said, we have a surf punk band in San Francisco. You know, I had specifically said the East Bay, uh, specifically Hayward, where I was living, where I'm from. Um, so it was just interesting to get all these different calls, all these different ideas of what people think you are asking when you're not even asking. Anyway, we, uh, I got a, I got an interesting call from a, uh, a, a man named Sean who, um, played, uh, he said he was a bass player and he had a friend that was a guitar player and they were interested in, uh, in coming down. Uh, however, they needed some, uh, a little bit of help getting the gear there, um, they let me know where they were. They were close, so I was able to go drive over there with my truck and load up their equipment for them. Uh, uh, oh, you know what? Wow. Mark was his name. Okay. There was Sean who played bass and uh, his friend Mark who played guitar. I almost forgot that cat's name there for a minute. It had been a long time since I thought about this. Uh, so we, um, I picked the guys up, load up their – now I'm meeting Sean for the first time, and it was uh, – you know, a very pretty warm late summer, early fall uh, afternoon on a weekend, and I go to pick this guy up, and he is wearing overalls with no shirt on, and a uh, and a shaved head. So, uh, uh, looked very very farm boy esque. Be it that my name is Sean and his name is Sean, his nickname right away became Hoss because of his. Uh, sort of country bumpkin look that he had going on at the time. Um, that name stuck with me and a few others. We call him Haas still to this day. Um, anyway, I bring these guys over. We start jamming. Things are pretty good. Uh, Sean has an affinity for some slap bass kind of stuff. So uh, we started throwing some ideas around and kind of had a primus feel, to tell you the truth, in the early on. Uh, so I was jamming with these two guys trying to get something going. Uh, Sean sort of warned me that, uh, Mark might not work out, uh, for that. He had a, uh, epitome. He had a bit of a, uh, 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 he had a bit of a problem. He had a, he had an, uh, a, a methamphetamine problem. So, uh, he thought that he might flip out one day and, and pull some weird shit and, we might not uh we might not need his services uh in the meantime i had met another friend uh or i met an, met somebody else through uh through a series of friends uh that from the sounds of it sounded like he wanted to do something similar to what i was thinking and uh and he was coming down and jamming with me separate from these other two guys i decided to hey let's get these two groups of people together and maybe we'll have something with two guitars bass and me playing drums. Uh, none of these guys wanted to tackle vocals, so uh, the hunt for a singer was still, still out there. So by um, by late, let's I want to say by late ninety five, early ninety six. And when I say early ninety six, like like January, like very early. Um, Mark had uh, indeed flipped out and did pulled some weird shit. And he was uh, sent packing, 
and uh, Sean and the other guitar player, his name was Mike, uh, Mikey. Uh, they seemed to get along. Uh, we all found out that we had a lot of uh, a lot of friends, uh, a lot of similar friends. Our circle of friends greatly overlapped. We knew a lot of the same people, and uh, just for however things go, we just never never crossed paths. The three of us, so uh, we started hashing through some songs and, and writing our own stuff. Uh, it was very dark, very heavy, um, very groove oriented, and uh, uh, maybe a little heavier than maybe I was thinking in the initial. But I was very up for the collaboration. I didn't want this to be my project by any stretch. I just had an idea that I thought would be cool and. Uh, these guys seem to share that same idea. We went through a few different guys coming through trying to sing. Um, a lot of, you know, we had one guy come in that like was full-blown Chris Cornell style. And uh, even, you know, complete with the pretty hair. Um, that wasn't anything that we were interested in. Um, we were wearing a lot of beanies and Ben Davis and baggy shorts. So uh, a pretty-haired Chris Cornell type guy wasn't really in the cards. We were making, you know, we we're doing ugly stuff. We didn't need a pretty boy in the in the thing. Um, and then uh, my buddy Brian would come through once in a while, kind of peek his head in, hear what was going on. Um, wouldn't really say much. Just would kind of check it out and pop in for a minute and walk away because it was too loud or whatever it was, you know. But uh, one day I was helping Brian with his, uh, I remember this specifically, we were at his parents' house and he was working on, he had a, I believe it was a 66 Nova and we were doing some body work on it. We were doing some sanding and uh, some spot priming and uh, working on the, working on the body and some fenders or whatever we were doing. And uh, I remember he asked me how the uh, singer search was going. And I told him that eh, it wasn't going very well. That we, uh, I want a guy to come in, and I want a, I want an MC. I want someone that's gonna, you know, do that's gonna rap, but not some whack white boy, you know, cheesy halfway screaming rhyming lyrics. I want an MC. I want him to be chill. I want him to, uh, but you know, I want rap. I want some real hardcore hip hop vocals over what we're doing musically. And uh, it was about 10, you know, silent for a few minutes. And we're sanding away on his car. And he throws down a sandpaper almost angrily. He's all, help me write some lyrics and I'll come in and sing for you guys. And, and of course, if you ask Brian how this story goes, he will tell you that I did nothing short of, uh, did everything short of beg him to join the band. Um so he, he said, if you ask him, I begged him to join. But uh, as I remember it, I just, he asked me how it was going. I told him it wasn't going well. And uh, <laughs> in in his frustration for us not being able to find a singer, he decides to help us out. So uh, we had a little ghetto box recording of a couple of tunes I gave him. And uh, he came in within a week or so and uh, had a... Uh, had lyrics for some of these songs and they were fucking great. Uh, they were exactly what I was hoping to hear vocally over this stuff. Uh, he wasn't trying to yell. He wasn't trying to scream. Uh, 
he would uh, aggressively rap over this stuff, but it was wasn't anywhere near uh, screaming or yelling. Um, and uh, I I think we had something. Uh, we were at a party one night in San Jose, hanging out. Uh, me and Mikey, uh, I think it was just me and Mikey, and uh, we were hanging out at a party, and someone decided that they were gonna go to the liquor store to get some get some more alcohol and I said oh you're gonna go to the liquor store and that is how we came up with the name liquor store for our band that officially probably started in once all the pieces fell in the line this was probably early spring of um, 1996 Uh, our first show was I believe in July of I I want to say it was either Memorial Day, maybe even late May. It was either Memorial Day weekend or um uh the weekend or the week going into uh 4th of July. Uh was our first show. Uh we played a house party at the par- at the house that Mikey was living in and uh Told all our friends that we had a new band and this was going to be the first show. Come to our party. We had a f- oh, he packed, packed party. Um, but maybe I haven't seen a house party. I've been to a few house parties with a lot of people. This seemed pretty ridiculous, the amount of people that were there. Uh, all kinds of people outside in the backyard. Completely packed inside the house when we started playing. Um I remember I remember Brian's brother Tim when we were telling him about the kind of band we were doing he was very concerned because he felt that uh how are you going to combine rap with heavy music that doesn't make any sense at all um if you asked my father at the time he was saying that we were combining the two worst forms of music and putting them together in a uh two wrongs don't make a make a right type of uh ideology uh maybe he was right (laughs) the old man but uh tim took back his statement after he saw that first show he was like holy shit that shit works and it's actually really really good so uh that we were off and running uh the four of us we started doing shows uh berkeley square the uh long long since gone uh club in berkeley uh alameda saloon another uh dive bar place that had a stage and is no longer around um the coco Dree in san francisco another club not around anymore um and uh and san jose we were starting to get into uh, playing in san jose uh this place called uh the cactus club another club not there anymore uh, we started uh, quickly, sort of making some moves and 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 getting people to notice. Uh, we quickly got banned from the Cactus Club because I remember one night, uh, Mikey, uh, very intoxicated, calling the booker of and the manager of the Cactus Club, this very large man named Calvin, and I remember Mikey calling and uh, calling him a fat fuck and all kinds of other things for uh uh, and being a little upset that that they weren't booking us at the club uh so we were banned from the cactus club for a little while 
until we met uh, Insolence from the South Bay. Uh, Insolence, known for uh, some songs on the Little Nicky soundtrack, and uh, I think they had a song in the movie Driven. Uh, anyway, we became really good friends with those guys. We sort of had some uh, similar ideas in music uh, as far as combining rap and heavier music. And uh, got to nail those guys pretty good. And, and uh, uh, we also played with this band called Mindbender at one point. And Mind- Mindbender was a three-piece band. Two of the guys lived in Fresno, which is about three hours south of the Bay Area. And, uh, and then the one guitar player lived up here in Oakland. Uh, we were playing with them and got to know these guys pretty well. They were an amazing band, Mindbender. Uh, the guitar player James would rap and play guitar at the same time. He sort of sounded like Zachary De La Rocha. Oh, of course, he hates that comparison, but um, that's what he sounded like. Uh, bass player Marino was a monster bass player. Um, just very unique, uh, very unique style of playing. Uh, they were a very amazing band. Lots of chops in this band, Mindbender. We did a few shows with them. We became good friends with them. Uh and we were starting to make things happen. We were, we were well on our way. Uh, we were getting ready to record a demo. We get a call one day from, uh, from James, from my inventor, the guitar player. And he asked if uh, he thought that we ever... He asked if we, we had ever thought of adding another guitar player to our band. And the crazy coincidence was that we had just got done having a conversation, the rehearsal before this call where we talked about maybe adding maybe a DJ, but we quickly decided against that because uh, we were hearing more sound and more noise than what we were actually doing. So um, we knew we needed another person to come in. We just didn't know exactly what that person would do or, or how we would achieve this. We thought about maybe a keyboard player to play samples and to do little noises and do weird we wanted noise. We didn't really want, some, you know, a DJ. A DJ was starting to be sort of cliche. Although, in the Bay Area at that time, like I said, this is 96, you know, going to, uh, uh, maybe this is about 97 by this point. We finally recorded a demo, the four of us, in uh, spring of 97. Uh, late winter of 97. Um, and uh, shortly after that, once we got that little tape which was recorded terribly by the way uh not as bad as the old hate demo but uh not not that great either it sounded okay again it sounded muffled it wasn't very uh you know it was done on eight ats and uh, the kick drum was pretty buried in the mix uh the drums weren't loud enough but we were stoked on it and uh it was getting us notice we definitely wanted. We're in a big hurry to record another one, though, because now we had enough experience that we knew knew what we wanted, knew how we wanted things to sound. Uh, and it was about that time that uh, James had called, and uh, like I said, we decided that we definitely didn't want a uh, a DJ or anything, because you know not too many bands in the Bay Area were doing the sort of uh, that we're doing the hip hop justice. You know, there wasn't a lot of hip hop in the heavy music at that time in the Bay Area. Some bands were doing it, and they're mixing it in a little bit here and there. 
There's a couple bands that had some DJs or whatever, but it just seemed like a trendy thing to do as far as we concerned. We were concerned, although we really wanted to really get deep into the hip hop part of things. We felt like we could do it better with live instrumentation and let that shit breathe a little bit better and then being locked into um, pre-programmed beats and stuff like that. Uh, although, of course, later on, we did start to rely on pre-programmed beats and sequence things, but I think the way we did it still felt a little bit more organic. Uh, anyway, um, so James Miller comes in the fold. Now we're a five-piece. James Miller has, you know, James Miller had all the pedals. <laughs> he had all the pedals. He could make all the noises, and it was a really cool addition to what we were doing. He could do melodies over the top of some of the guitar parts that uh, Mikey couldn't do. You know, so Mikey pretty much held down the rhythm parts, uh, and uh, we recorded our second little, uh, second little demo, uh, affectionately known as the "Call Me Like I'm Death" demo. The intro song that you hear to the Sean Boyles podcast is, in fact, a song called "Call Me Like I'm Death," and that was the second little three-song demo that we did. Uh, shortly after that, um, we started to get some notice. We had um, we had some people really checking us out. We had some interest from labels, Geffen, or not Geffen, I take that back, DreamWorks Records, uh, which David Geffen was a part of. Uh, DreamWorks Records were, uh, were interested. Uh, Columbia was interested. Uh, but maybe we were still a little green. They would ask us... Uh, we weren't necessarily all on the same page. If you asked us the question, you were probably going to get five different answers. Uh, Brian, as a performer, wasn't really coming out of a shell yet. He was still a little intimidated by the stage. He would never admit it. He would totally never admit it. But uh, he uh, kind of kept his back to the to the crowd a lot. Would always be looking at me. He would say that he needed, you know, he would look at me and cue in on me a lot for focus to make sure he was on where he needed to be. And I'm sure that's, you know, true, but he never really was playing to the crowd too often. As you perform, you sort of learn that, hey, you kind of got to give it to them and not keep it inside, keep it just on the stage, you know. Um, But nonetheless, we were getting interest. People were liking what we're doing. They were liking our demos. They were liking what they were hearing. Our our live show was good uh, for the most part. And... uh, you know, DreamWorks took us to dinner. Um, we were supposed to meet some cats from Columbia one night, but that never happened. Um, uh, Brian decided he needed to take a break at one point. He wanted to take a break from the band because we have been hitting it pretty hard there for about, you know, that was going on two years, I think, already. And he decided he wanted to, uh, he wanted to slow down. So this is probably 90, I want to say this is late 98 by this point. And uh, he wants to take a break. Uh, and uh, Haas thought it would be a good idea as well. So uh, we took a break for maybe five, six months. We didn't play. We were sitting on our bums. And then we got the itch to want to play again. Brian was like, hey, let's get at it. Uh, but uh, Haas decided he wanted to stay not playing. So uh, this was the first member change. So we had added a guy at one point. James came in, and now we need to, need to replace a bass player. And James says, hey, let's bring Marino up from Fresno. 
uh, the monster bass player. Uh, so he uh, Marino comes in, and Marino shows up playing a seven-string bass that just blew our minds. <laughs> Man handled a seven-string bass like it was nothing, and uh, and then we were off and running. I think our our musicality stepped up for sure. We were able to make even more noises because uh, as many pedals as James had for his guitar, Marino had just as many pedals for his bass. So uh, now we got bass synth sounds and uh, just all just all kinds of crazy noises happening with the bass from a bass player with a very distinct and very particular way of playing the bass. Uh, he we would joke that he played lead bass. He didn't really play the bass in a traditional sense. Uh, we actually had to kind of curb him and get him to have a little bit more bottom end in his tone and uh, and then by this point we're starting to starting to add some sequenced parts uh my drum parts are are involving uh, uh electronic parts that I'm triggering and uh, the hip hop stuff is getting way more hip hop sounding we're doing a lot more hip hop live and it just it's starting to sound like I originally was hoping this band could sound uh a live hip hop group that can go heavy but has a legitimate MC out front. And uh, and then Brian starts coming out of his shell. He starts to really give it to the crowd, and, uh, and we're starting to get some good shows, too. We opened up for uh, Ghostface Killer and Raekwon from, uh, from Wu-Tang Clan. We uh, at a big place, Maritime Hall. Uh, I think that place held, like, I don't know, somewhere between... 13 and 1500 people and then it was sold out that night and we played in front you know we opened up it was just us and Ghostface and Raekwon so there was no other bands and we did our thing and won over a hip-hop crowd Um, we were easily one of the few if not only band that could legitimately open up for hip-hop groups when they came through in the Bay Area at that time, uh, we would uh, we opened up for Digital Underground. We opened up for uh, Two Live Crew. We opened up for uh, King's X and Fishbone. We uh, so we started getting really good shows. We were getting some notice, and uh, we were very happy. Uh, the labels, however, had started kind of stopped coming around. They uh, they deemed us hard to work with. Um, we had a little run in with uh, some uh, producers at one point, and uh, maybe we mouthed off to a, a label guy once or twice. So, uh, yeah, maybe a warranted label on our little band that we affectionately called the Stowe for Liquor Stowe. Um, but for seven and a half years, we, uh, we grinded it out. Uh, we, uh, we, got an, we got a manager at one point. I think uh, shortly after uh, Marino joined the band, uh, we ended up with a manager. Uh, some contracts were getting thrown our way, and we're a bunch of dumb kids from the East Bay. We can't read no, can't be doing no reading. Reading ain't a strong point. Ain't our strong suit. So uh, we had a some friends of a friend that had new guy that was managing. This little band called Machine Head from Oakland, and um, that manager had just 
parted ways with Machine Head, one Joseph Houston. And Joseph Houston, in uh, when he wasn't managing Machine Head, decided to help us out and started managing us. Um, Machine Head then asked him back, and uh, for I think maybe the first time in his managing career, uh, Joseph Houston managed both Machine Head and us. And, uh, you know, he got a little bit busier than, <laughs> than what we needed him for anyway. So it was okay. Uh, but, you know, he helped us out. He was able to get our, uh, get a foot in the door here and there. But uh, uh, we enjoyed his uh, aggressiveness. Uh, he seemed like a real go-getter type. Uh, but after, after a while, it seemed like he wasn't really chasing too many things down. He seemed to – it felt like for us anyway that we would chase things down and – and he'd kind of kind of bring up the rear, I guess you could say, you know, uh tidy up the rough edges or whatever, but anything that was anything that we were going for, it was uh uh it was Mikey for the most part that was chasing a lot of stuff down. He did a lot of the legwork for the band. Uh, I would help him out too cuz at that time I was actually working with him painting houses um which I still do today. Um not with him, but uh on my own. But uh, but yeah, man, that was like I said for seven and a half years. We felt like uh, at, towards the end we started getting small labels uh, that were interested. Uh, uh oh man, Whoa. Suburban Noise was interested in Lickestow. Uh, by about two thousand three, I think, towards the end there or two thousand four. Two thousand four is when we called it, and uh, I think the last thing we put out was a. Uh, uh, a full length record by uh i think 2002 is when we put that out and uh there was some remixes of older songs about four songs and there was four brand new songs that were on there and we put that out as a as a full length and uh very well received a lot of people were digging that uh we were starting to ship CDs out to people uh all in all we probably went through between three different demos uh or two different demos in a in a in a full length oh uh, now this is a super rough estimate we probably 5000 copies of 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 music to uh to various folks i don't know that might be a high estimate but uh i got a box of about 1000 CDs laying around here somewhere but uh, so maybe it's a little less than I'm thinking. But uh, but we did good. I was I was very proud of that band. Definitely the most successful band I had done up to that point. Uh, maybe up until ever. Um, well, I, I should take that back. The band I'm doing currently that we'll get to later on uh, is doing maybe a little bit better than that. But uh, but anyway, it ran its course. We decided to put it away uh, by 2004. The rap metal genre, whatever you want to call it, new metal as it's not so affectionately named. Uh, not really something. I don't know. It seemed like there was a lot of junk out there. I believe that uh, the likes of Limp Biscuit and Kid Rock sort of put a bad taste in people's mouths for the combination of heavier music and, and hip hop. Just. 
they were getting really popular and I just felt we felt like not doing the genre justice in what it could really be um, because it kind of we're turning it into some buffoonery it just seemed very not that we were taking ourselves super seriously but you know I mean no we weren't taking ourselves completely seriously we were called fucking Lickisto after all I mean we weren't taking ourselves completely seriously, but but at the same time, you know, these guys seemed a little, there was a little bit more jackassery going on with some of these other groups. And to tell you the truth, um, the members of the band didn't listen to any other rap metal type stuff. Uh, we sort of lost our... Uh, our affection for some of the stuff not too long after the first corn record and not too long after maybe the first couple of Deftones albums. Uh, I think Deftones still was, uh, we were still dig- digging the stuff they were doing. They seemed to keep evolving and pushing and doing newer stuff. Uh, uh, they sort of plateaued since, but uh, at the time, you know, uh, but other bands that we were hearing, just we just, we didn't like a lot of other <laughs> new metal bands that, you know, the bands that we were playing with you know we were seeing our friends bands though uh we were seeing bands getting signed and dropped uh within the time it took us to start getting noticed towards the end from some smaller labels so uh it never really happened for us but uh everybody seemed to know uh seemed to know who we were when our name would get thrown around and even to this day i'll get asked once in a while when uh when are we going to do a reunion show or when are we going to get that back together or whatever? It ain't going to happen. It's just, uh, as Brian put it, uh, it's not the same guy anymore. He can't, uh, he can't rattle off the anger that was in those lyrics uh, <laughs> as the young man that he was. He's pretty chill these days. He actually has a smile on his face more often than not. And that wasn't the case back in the day. He was a, <laughs> he was a mean hombre. But uh, I have a lot of affection for that band. I, I really, I'm really proud what, for what we did. Uh, we weren't doing the same old stuff that a lot of bands were doing. And uh, even though we were in, in that genre of music, the rap metal, new metal, whatever you want to call it, um, still to this day, I feel like we were doing it a little different than a lot of those bands. Uh, be it that we were trying to lean a lot more on the on the hip hop side of things. That was the other thing that labels had a problem too at at the time. Uh, the hip hop parts were so strong, hip hop, and the heavy parts were so heavy uh, when we would do them that they felt like they had a hard time trying to uh, trying to market it. They didn't know who they could market it to because um, the heavy stuff was too heavy for hip hop heads, and maybe the hip hop stuff was too hip hop for you know, metalheads, so, but we didn't care, we were, you know, this is what we were doing, you know, um, look at that, we're at the, shit, we're almost at the 40 minute mark, um, anyway, I think that's good enough for this episode, uh, re, re, uh, recanting the, uh, recanting Lickisto, uh, one of my favorite bands I've done, uh, and to this day, still super tight, super good friends, with the guys in that band. 
In fact, James is who I was helping earlier today at his house with some sheetrock. Uh, Mikey, uh, I did some work for this week painting. Still good friends with these guys. Uh, uh, but uh, happy with that band. Happy with that band. When that band finished, um, I really didn't know what to do playing-wise. Uh, I liked the dichotomy that was there, uh, the duality, I should say, of uh, of my playing where I was able to um, have some finesse and groove with the uh, with the more hip hop stuff, but yet I could be a gorilla and really bash some stuff out with the heavier stuff. It was a nice, and my drum kit at the time reflected that. You know, you know, I had to have a little bit of both. You know, small stuff, dainty stuff that could pull off the hip hop stuff that, but also stuff that was big and loud that could uh, pull off the heavier stuff. So. Um, Anyway, a lot of uh, a lot of things from that band end up coming back around later on, and I think the next episode you will hear from me next week. We'll dive into uh, the sort of uh, basically what what I've done since two thousand four, uh, maybe up to the present. We can probably speed things along. I wanted to concentrate on that band because that band was very important for me and who I am as a person, and. Uh, I uh, I dug it. It was it was fun. In fact, we're gonna close this thing out with another another selection from uh, this is from the last thing we released. Uh, a little song called "Hell Yeah." This song drove Mikey crazy because he didn't like the hook. He thought the hook was uh, was kind of whack. Uh, but you know what? Fuck it. You know what? I'm not going to play Hell Yeah. I'm going to play, how about this, an exclusive, Sean Boyle's exclusive. Uh, I'll probably play the whole track. Uh, this was a song that was never released from Lick the Stowe. Uh, one of the last things we rec- we had recorded, a group of songs that ended up on our last full length called East Bay Biography. And uh, this song never got finished uh, being mixed. There were some issues we wanted to do something for the hook, and we couldn't really do it. Um, about a year ago, James Miller finished mixing this song, and I remember he sent it to me. Uh, so we're going to go out with a song called All Go, All Show. And uh, like I said, an exclusive. An exclusive on the Sean Boyles podcast. Uh, new episodes every Monday at 7 a.m. Um Hope you guys are well, and I will see you next week. Here we go. I'll go. I'll show. I'll be like super fly, super sly, super nice guy. Super duper to the light eyes. She looking fine with them super thighs. Face to make you smile, ask to make your eyes cry. To my surprise, you rub them a thigh, want a place to hide. Take control of what she do, how she feel inside. My, my, damn, she looking fly. And I'm feeling high, no lie, let's ride. You wanna ride, wanna ride, you wanna. You wanna ride with me. We got time, no time is on us. Best time to be. She wanted to ride, I said, okay, let's do this. Get up on the deck, and when I drive, you move this. Dancing on my lap like she was doing a strip tease. Coming through this section, crowd, please, baby, please.
everybody gon' drop Joe My gold at the figure that this nigga so Composed myself, made my way across the flow Sliding back and forth, stop to ask me if she like the show A little whoop whoop whoop, she looking so fine Dirty thoughts running in and out my dirty mind You wanna ride, we'll ride, you wanna ride You wanna ride with me Staring at the booty cheeks, smiling while I'm spanking them, taxing them, finishing up, relaxing some. Having fun and ain't done till the sun comes. She had it all dark skin and a cute nose, long legs, short skirt, no pantyhose, Mercedes Benz and the keys to the condo. All go, all show, and I won't move. 